text for the sermon this morning are the verses 23 to 28 of Genesis 37. We'll read those verses again. Verses 23 to 28, Genesis 37. And there we read the word of God as follows. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal, conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, our hand, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite tra traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So far, the text. Love a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the letter of James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, writes in chapter 1 of his uh, letter, my brethren, count it all joy when you, meet in, when you fall in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, our text is about that testing of faith, which produces patience. It doesn't always seem like it's very joyful. But afterwards, you can take the joy in that. And we see that with Joseph, too, afterward. But the thing is that the testing of faith strengthens it, makes it resilient, makes patient as to the fulfillment of God's promises. And Joseph was tested like that. That's how it's put in Psalm 105, which we read earlier on. And it says in the verses 17 to 19 of Psalm 105, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested him. That's an interesting way of putting it, that the word of the Lord tested Joseph. In other words, he was tested by being thrown into a pit and then sold as a slave, and that test involved the word of the Lord that had come to him in those two dreams that he had been given by God before. You remember he was given those two dreams in which he actually saw his whole family bowing before him? And those dreams were obviously then a revelation from God. There were two of them. God was speaking in those dreams to him, through him. They were God's word. God told Joseph he would become a leader, a king. And the test for Joseph then 
when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers and when they sold him into slavery was about that word of God. Would, would, that, would what God had revealed to Joseph, would that really come about now? How in the world was that possible? How could God's promise of future greatness for Joseph really come true if, if these things were happening to him? And we know that this test was to Joseph's benefit because later on we find him continually living in trust and obedience to God's word far from home in Egypt. And we know that he became the ruler of Egypt to save his family from famine. So I preach to you the text for this morning with this theme, Joseph tested by the word of the Lord. We see first how and secondly why. So how Joseph was tested by the word of the Lord, first of all, the events related in Genesis 37 then show us some pretty disturbing things that took place in the church in patriarchal times. The family of Jacob, after all, was the church at the time, the Old Testament church. Church of the Lord. And that's why it says at the beginning of Genesis 37, verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. This is the history. This is church history. Jacob's family was the church, the covenant community. And there was bitter envy among the brotherhood at the time. And you remember how Joseph had expressed concern about the behavior of his brothers to his father Jacob. You recall how Jacob honored Joseph above his brothers because of his love for the Lord. How he had given him that coat of many colors. You are the leader among your brothers. You are the leader because of your obedience to the Lord. And then how his brothers hated him because of that. Not just because of the coat, but because of his desire to walk in the way of the covenant. And that desire in Joseph was also evident in the fact that God revealed himself through Joseph in those two dreams which showed his family bowing before him. They were God's word to Joseph's family at the time, at a time when the, the Bible hadn't been written yet. But the brothers envied Joseph because of those dreams, it says, verse 11. They envied him, hated him, even more for being the recipient of God's revelation. That God spoke to him. They hated him because they saw him as a goody-goody two-shoes. But, but that hatred, in that hatred, burned the rejection of God's word. The rejection of God's word about Joseph's future kingship. They hated God's prophet, and rejected his word through his prophet. And that hatred boiled over in what happened there in Dothan. The brothers went to feed their father's flock near Shechem. And according to Genesis 33, Jacob had bought some property there. Jacob had property near Shechem, bought it. And maybe... Maybe the brothers had told their father, we're going to go to that property, feed the sheep there. But it seems they didn't stay there long. Maybe didn't even go there. You can imagine the people around Shechem wouldn't have been that welcoming. As Simeon and Levi at one point had killed the men of that city for the rape of their sister Dinah in Genesis 34. You can read about that there. In any case, they did not 
actually go to Shechem, they went on to Dothan. Joseph was with Jacob in Hebron at the time, and Jacob sent him to Shechem to find out if all was well with the brothers and the flocks. And the word used in verse 14 for well, you know, if he says, uh, see if your brothers are well, the word used there is shalom. See if your brothers are shalom. And if you know what that word means, it means peace or at peace. See if your brothers are at peace there in Shechem. So Jacob was obviously worried about trouble with the Canaanites. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, think about, about Joseph here. This was no little jaunt, a short little walk for, for Joseph. Shechem was 80 or 90 kilometers from the valley of Hebron. So Joseph had to travel a number of days to get to Shechem. He didn't find the brothers and the flocks there. He was wandering around, checking out the area, see if he could find his brothers, and he bumped into this man who informed him that his brothers and the flocks were around 20 kilometers farther north in Dothan. Joseph, faithful to his father, traveled on to Dothan. But when the brothers saw him coming there, they were filled with hatred towards him. And they, they got together, huddled together, and they conspired to kill him. Look, this dreamer is coming, they said in verses 18 and 19. Let's, let's kill him. Let us kill him um, and cast him into some pit and we'll say some wild beast has devoured him. And then we'll see what will become of his dreams. So they call him a dreamer. It's about the dreams that they're sent. They rejected those dreams. They rejected God's revelation through Joseph which showed them bowing before him. Those two dreams. And they figured they could short-circuit God's whole purpose and plan by putting Joseph to death. That would put an end to the whole thing. Reuben prevented the brothers from actually killing Joseph on the spot. Maybe a bad conscience for what he had done to his father. He was the oldest, the responsible. But in any case... They stripped Joseph of his robe, the symbol of his uprightness given by Father Jacob, and they threw him in one of the many pits around Dothan. And then they sat down and had lunch beside the pit Joseph was in. And you can imagine Joseph crying out to his brothers, pleading with them. The brothers actually recall that later on in Genesis 42, verse 21, where they're, they're struggling with, in, in Egypt with that ruler of Egypt, who, who was Joseph, but they didn't know. And they were struggling with what he wanted, demanded from them, and they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we have seen the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. So they review what happened. They ignored him, his pleading. Maybe they took pleasure from his cries at the time. And since Dothan was along the main road toward Egypt, there were caravans passing by all the time, Midianites and Ishmaelites, all cousins of Jacob's sons. 
the brothers decided that instead of actually being responsible for Joseph's death, they would do better to sell him to the Ishmaelites, and they got 20 pieces of silver for him, the price of a slave in those days. And Joseph was led away to Egypt in chains, in leg irons, as it says in Psalm 105. The rhymed version suggests maybe even a neck iron too, but at least leg irons. Brothers of the same house, brothers with the, within the Old Testament household of faith, within the church, merciless towards a brother, merciless. They heard his cries, they saw his anguish, they sat down by the pit to eat, and they said good riddance as he was led away in shackles toward Egypt. Joseph in the pit, and then later in leg irons. Everything taken away, everything taken away from him. His robe, his freedom, his family, his father, his dignity, everything. Joseph stripped up everything by his brother's congregation. He cried out in the pit. He pleaded when the shackles were put on his feet and had to walk with them all the way to Egypt, maybe behind the Ishmaelite camels. You can imagine that that 17-year-old young fellow was dead scared too. What's going to happen? Maybe in his anguish while he was in the pit yet, he thought, if only I'd never met that man in the field. If only I'd just gone back to Hebron again when I couldn't find them around, around Shechem. If only. And then a rope was lowered in the pit, and then he was pulled out. He saw light, what a relief. But then things only got worse. Sold, put in chains, dragged off and abused by slave traders. How many people aren't there whose dreams have fallen to pieces like that? They, they wanted to do the right thing, wanted to obey the Lord but they fell from one tragedy into another. And just when they thought they saw light, they had to deal with another adversity. Like Joseph, who was drawn out of the pit only to end up in leg irons, stumbling along for days behind a camel. They loved the Lord, trusted, but it went from bad to worse. If, if it goes like that in your life, from one thing to another, in spite of the Lord's promises, then wouldn't you want to give up hope? And you can't think ahead anymore? Life isn't fair. I wanted to do what the Lord said. Sometimes we can end up in the pit and at the end of our rope too, can't we? And then we can ask, why, Lord? Why? Why me? I wanted to do the, what you commanded. I wanted to do, follow you. Why this one thing after another? Into the pit and at the end of, then at the end of a rope. Why? And that brings us to the second part of the sermon this morning. Why? Congregation God sometimes tests us as he tested Joseph. He tests us with his word, we could say. He promises us all kinds of things and then he takes away. So that we wonder, is he true to his word? And then he doesn't, he doesn't 
test us like that with his word to torment us. No, as we sang earlier on, Psalm 103, high as the vault of heaven without end, so great is his mercy to those who fear him. Well, he tests those who fear him too. And that's his mercy. He tests us to bring us to focus our hope and expectation on him and his word of promise alone. When you're in the pit of despair because of financial problems and then you're told that you may have cancer, then God tests you. He's taking things away from you so that you realize so that, in the, that all you really have left is your faith and hope in his word, his word of promise. And then you realize again that that's what's most important in all of life. Then you grab hold of God's promises in his word, his, his gospel promises in Christ, and you see again how they really are the only hope and expectation in life, your only comfort in life and death. And we have to see that from time to time. And that's why God tests us. Test those who fear him. You know how it often is with us. We often grab things that don't give us stability. We hold on to those things that don't really give stability and don't really give us any comfort. We find stability in our good circumstances. If we're healthy and have prosperity, we say, God is blessing us. Let's thank him. If only it was that simple. You can't always draw conclusions about God's intentions concerning you from your circumstances. Prosperity isn't always a blessing. It can be detrimental. A prosperity can be a curse. It can take you away from God. The thing is we have to constantly find our stability and direction in life in the promises of God alone, in Him and in nothing else. And therefore, He has to keep testing us. Life under pressure. That happens today too. Trouble upon trouble. Tragedy even. Brothers and sisters, it's all from God. It's all his testing to bring you to maturity of faith, to maturity of faith, to cling evermore to his word of promise. And then you realize that this life is just a passing thing, hey, when you're tested. Then we're like grass, it's, as it says in Psalm 103, dust blown away by the wind, here just a short time. And what you can and need to live for in reality is the promise of God's eternal salvation. God's promises are really actually it. And the question is then, do you let your troubles and tests push you in that direction that you see that? Do they bring you to cling evermore to his promises to you, no matter how much pain you have inside? Or do you become bitter and let those things push you away from God so that your circumstances bring you to give up on what God has promised in his words? That's, that's, what, that's the, what the test is about, all that adversity, right? Do I let it push me away from God or does it put my fingers around his promises in his word even more tightly than before. 
And that's what the, the story of Joseph teaches us. The why. I wondered what the application of this passage in the Bible might be for us today. Well, for one thing, it confronts us with that question. What if God would totally take everything away from me as he did with Joseph? The young man, 17-year-old. If he took everything away, totally, would I still trust in God's promises to me, in his word? Would I still hold on to that and say like Job, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. The text doesn't say how Joseph actually reacted at the time. We know that he cried out to his brother, that he, he pled with them as they, as they themselves said later on. It doesn't say that he prayed to God or so, but we can safely assume that he did because much later when the deacon Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 and he ran through them with them Israel's history, then he said in Acts 7 verse 9, and the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. But God was with him. God wouldn't have been with him if he hadn't called on him. He was a young man who was hated by his brothers because of the word of the Lord which had come to him in those dreams. But God was with him, and that also meant Joseph held fast to God and his promise of future greatness for him, even when his brothers chucked him in the pit and later collected money for selling him into slavery. And there was no inkling that that promise of greatness would ever, ever come true for him. He held on. And in holding on to that promise in those circumstances, he matured in faith beyond his years, we could say. His suffering only made him stronger in his faith, prepared him for what was to come, for God had great, great plans for him. That's why God tested him, to prepare him for future glory. That's why God tests us. And congregation, you, you can't help but think here also of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, greater, the greater than Joseph. It says in Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. And then it continues, and having been perfected, made complete, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The Lord Jesus Christ went through this too. He was stripped of everything, stripped of everything. He was sold for the price of a slave by Judas and then stripped of his clothes, nailed to a cross, descended into the darkness of the pit of all pits in hellish agony forsaken by everyone, even his Father in heaven, so that he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why was he forsaken? So that we might never more be forsaken by God. He clung to God's word of promise, even though his Father had turned his face from him 
He was forsaken so that we might never more be forsaken, so that nothing at all can separate those who trust his word from him. Nothing. And Joseph, the Old Testament teenager, experienced something of all, all that already in anticipation of Christ's coming when he was in the pit and then sold into slavery. He knew the Lord God was with him, even when everything went dark in the pit and when he hobbled along behind the camels toward Egypt. By God's grace in Christ, Joseph clung to God and believed that God would do as he had shown him in those dreams. And what he went through made him stronger and stronger in faith, made him able to deal with all that was to come later on in Egypt in faith, because there was more to come. And God was making him ready for all that. And that's how it goes for true believers when they're tested by God's word, congregation. They only become stronger through those tests, more assured. Amazing if you think about it. When, when everything is taken away, then you actually grow in reliance on God's promises. And you learn to wait in patience for him. That's how it went for Joseph. That's how it goes for believers. Think of Paul and Silas. You know, they went to Philippi on the second missionary journey, brought the gospel of Christ there. They were called there to Europe. And then they brought the gospel there. And Lydia and her household came to the Lord. But, but Paul and Silas ended up being stripped and beaten with rods and then thrown into prison with their feet in stocks in the darkest dungeon. Where was God then? What was he doing then? You'd think, well, then they would, would kind of give up, wouldn't they? But their sufferings only made them look to God even more, to the Lord. Because it says in Acts 16 that in prison, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Unbelievers can't understand that. That's the peace that passes understanding. But that faith of Paul and Silas in that dungeon reached a high point. At the lowest point, that faith reached the high point. That they sang praises to God there. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, there comes in everyone's life a time when they figure everything is taken away from them. We all have times like that. But if you hold on to the word of God of promise, God's word of promise to you, then you realize you still have everything and more. Because then you realize I'm rich even if I have nothing. I'm full even if I'm hungry. I'm at peace even when there's trouble upon trouble. Then I know my future is bright even if I have only a few minutes to live. And that's because of Christ. He suffered the ultimate test. He suffered all there is to suffer in hell so that Joseph's sufferings and our trials refine us, make us ready 
to reign with him over all things. Amen.